Welcome to tonight's special event at the Apple Store Regent Street in London. Would you please welcome our host this evening, Helen Zaltzman. Thank you very much. Uh, was that the whole thing? Wow. It's pithy. Uh, thanks ever so much for, for coming to this event, uh, which is about podcasting. Uh, has anyone heard a podcast or of them? It's going to be a rough night. Uh, because uh, this year marks the 10th anniversary of the word podcast being invented. The medium is older than that because of ham radio and smoke signals and stuff. Uh, so to celebrate, I have uh, some of Britain's most magnificent podcasters with me. Oh, I make a podcast, by the way. That's why I'm here. And uh, also because there are very few women that do podcasts, so you have to have one. Uh, <laughs> uh, I make a podcast called Answer Me This and uh, another podcast called Sound Women. And uh, so from the far end, there's uh, Pete Donaldson. Pete, explain yourself. Hi, I'm Pete Donaldson. Hello, shoplifters. How are you? <laughs> uh, I do a podcast called The Football Ramble. It's been going for about uh, five or six years. I judge it a little bit later than that. And uh, I also do a radio show on Absolute Radio. So I've got the slightly more antiquated media and the, and the new media as well mixed in as well. So, uh, yeah, that's about it. I'm from the north. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uh, I'm Ollie Mann. I am the co-host of Answer Me This podcast with Helen Zaltzman over there. Uh, and today I have come dressed as an Italian ice cream salesman <laughs> at a children's birthday party. Um, I also present the Media Podcast, which is a new podcast which will probably not exist by the time you're watching this. But if everyone crowdfunds it now, then it will. Um, There's a glittering future for podcasting. <laughs> uh, and I'm also on LBC presenting overnight. So this is early morning for me. This is like three in the morning for me. Uh, and I'm Chris Skinner. Um, I think probably I was asked to do this because I'm the producer of a podcast called The Bugle. Never heard of it. Yeah, it's quite good. Uh, <laughs> listen in. Loads of new shows, not for another two months, though. And, um, but I have been podcasting for nearly 10 years now, so I guess I've been there since the start. And you make real programmes as well, don't you? I do. I'm a, I'm a producer at Absolute Radio as well, he doing breakfast. He, yeah, he does breakfast, so he's been up for about 20 hours at this point. So uh, if he just slowly falls off the chair, don't wake him up. <laughs> We'll, we'll get him at the end. Uh, so my first question is, uh, why are you a podcaster? And Chris, since I think you've been podcasting the longest of all of us, what drew you to this medium before it was even really a thing that most people had heard of? So I worked in radio, and I think I was working at a production company, and I think what podcasting allowed me to do was instead of pitching to make radio programs and going through a massive long-winded process of trying to get my ideas away, I could just do them. And as long as I could find someone to talk to and somewhere to record it and somewhere to put that audio, podcasting was the first place that I was really able to do this. So it sort of cut the broadcaster out for me. Uh, obviously, initially, the audiences were quite small, but um, I saw it as a real creative playground. And that, that, that was the very first thing that I got into it for. How had you heard of it back in 2005? It was just one of those... You know, like when someone first says to you, like, have you heard of Tumblr or... You know, do you know what an iPod is? It was just one of those things that... Right, and then you ignore it until it's way too late. Well, rather I, I than doing for, it. For once in my life, I was... I thought, oh, that sounds quite interesting. And um, working for a production company who obviously make uh, programmes for money, I guess there was an interest from colleagues as well because this could have possibly been um, an avenue where we could be making programmes for clients. So I guess we were quite interested from the start on a professional level as well. 
So, Pete, as you are a radio presenter, why would you do a, a hobby that is the same as your job? <laughs> I have a lot of free time uh, <laughs> and uh, very little imagination. Now, um, I sort of, uh, it was my first taste of radio to a certain extent. I used to do like a music podcast, like, God, probably about the same time as when you started, uh, to be honest, Chris. And, um, yeah, I, I'm not telling you what that is, because it's probably still out there on some really old server yeah, somewhere. Yeah, mine are. I, I, I listened to one when I was asked to do this, just to see what it was like, and it was, oh, it was horrifying. <laughs> oh. And so like, that was kind of my first bit of radio broadcasting, I suppose, and it was before I was even working as a, like, a assistant producer, or do, even doing work experience over at XFM, so it was kind of, um, it was my first taste of producing my own radio show. Um, the reasons why I got into the Football Ramble um, were kind of got press ganged into it to be honest I had access to studios over at Global back in the day um, and uh, I had a bit of a production background as well so um, basically I, I was kind of drafted in to kind of sort this rabble out and, and kind of apply you know as I said slightly antiquated radio rules onto a, a slightly freer more organic and certainly more time consuming um, discipline and it just turned like, you know, we, we, they used to um, record like four hours of content for, you know, 45 minutes of, of output or 20 minutes of output. And I just said, that's ridiculous. <laughs> stop it. Um, let's, let's stop doing it fortnightly. Let's do it weekly. And let's just record an hour of good stuff and, and, and cut very little out. And that's kind of, uh, I applied very strict radio constructs to a very free uh, medium. And, and, and to be honest, joy. <laughs> well, exactly. I think, I think um, sometimes you need a little bit of reining in as uh, podcast producers. You especially, <laughs> Helen. You're a wild woman. <laughs> uh, what's, what was the thinking behind the football ramble? Because I'm just going to say it. I think there's already a lot of broadcasting about football. Some might think enough. Oh, somebody has watched the telly <laughs> this month. This is the um, worst month of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, got, it, it's, a very, it's a bit of a closed shop, I think, punditry, to a certain extent. It's, uh, you know, it's just old footballers yapping on about, oh, it's different in my day, isn't it? You've got to do this and you've got to do that. And it's just, and it's just, um, and it's just a little bit tedious. I mean, they're generally uneducated dafties just yapping on about what, what it was like in their day and, and I think there's the great uh, democracy of podcasts means that anyone can have a go and if you've got a, a thought in your head and you, and you think that you've uh, got a, a voice when it comes to actual football punditry I think um, I think audiences appreciate that and, and approach it with a little bit of fun and a little bit of intelligence we don't always do that we don't always achieve that but I think <laughs> it's um, uh, I, I think we've kind of earned our stripes a little bit and it's certainly a, a fairly popular product from uh, from where we're standing. Do you use the phrase, a game of two halves? <laughs> well, it's stuff like that, isn't it? It's like things like in and around. Like, you, you can't turn on the television without Andy Townsend going, in and around, in and around. Like these kind of really weird kind of footballery phrases that have become part of our vernacular. It's just, it's, it, it seems bizarre uh, that that has somehow happened. And I think um, what the football ramble strives to do and I, I think I speak for all of them is to just provide something a little bit more a little bit more fun a little bit less um, tedious I think <laughs> even though you know you know we've been leveled we've had the word tedium uh, leveled at us on more than one occasion but I just think it's um, it's just nice to hear um, you know compl completely apart from my input into the actual show it's just nice to hear three lads who genuinely love the game four lads including me genuinely love the game and, uh, and, and and have things to say about football and it's not just the usual old tropes it's not the usual old sexist naffness that you get from pretty much everywhere else I and there's an audience for football commentary that's not sexist or naff I think so I mean it's much smaller than one than the sexist <laughs> bit but I think f fan uh, generated football podcast is, is, is such a strong area in, in the field of podcasting because you, you can't really do um, a national radio show or even necessarily a regional radio show about one 
particular viewpoint from one particular team. Whereas podcasting has allowed, say, very fan specific, you know, fans are into one very specific aspect of football, be it international football or a club or just say a certain humorous angle that, that you just don't get on radio. Yeah, you can be as biased as you want on a podcast. Yes. Uh, Ollie Mann, uh, I know why I'm a podcaster. It's because you asked me and I didn't know why I should say no at the time because I didn't know anything about podcasting. But why did you decide to become a podcaster? I wanted to hang out recording stuff with my best friend. And uh, when she wasn't available, hey, hey, thank you very much. I'm not here all week. Um, actually, it's kind of what you were saying. It's the democracy element, isn't it? It's the keys to the toy shop, I think. Um, you know, you saw, I, I grew up spending my weekends browsing HMV, looking at CDs. Yeah, you're a pretty cool guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, and bookshops, looking at books. And I was always interested in popular culture, and I was always interested in telly, and I always love radio. But the idea of just being able to make some of it and for someone to listen and enjoy it wasn't possible. I used to make radio shows like many aspiring radio presenters did at home, you know, on cassettes in my, in my bedroom. But that really was for me, and they were for my mum specifically, and if they ever come to light now, I will kill myself. <laughs> um, but the idea that I could actually then be on the same platform, uh, filling a niche, like you were saying as well, that's the thing. The, some of these niches can be quite sizable, and for me it was, I'm 25 or whatever I was at the time, you know, I'm working in the media, uh, I'm sort of, you know, middle class, live in London, basically, you know, slightly left of centre, but not sanctimonious about it. And I want to laugh at juvenile comedy that's also quite intelligent. What is there for me? Um, and uh, I mean, now there would be Richard Herring, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but at the time, there was the gulf ever since Leon Herring left TV. And there was Adam and Joe, which was, which was on XFM at the time. Uh, and their podcast was what inspired me to make me think, wow, we could actually, we could do a show like that. Not nearly as good as that. But we could do a show like that and be on the same platform. We could, the equivalent of being in HMV, the equivalent of being in the bookstore, even if it only appeals to a tiny niche of people, that's amazing. So it was, it was that idea, really. The, I was excited by the idea of it. And I recently listened back to our first ever episode from 2nd of January 2007, for the first time since 2007. And it was not an enjoyable experience at all. Uh, so why do you think our podcast took off and found an audience when we're not famous people, we're just... Uh, broadcasting from a living room in suburban London? Um, I think we always had a warmth to us, which we were careful to keep in, and it was always an inclusive idea. It was based on the idea that anyone can send us a question and we'll answer it. And it built up a community, which is what people respond to, I think. Um, there's that, and also having an eye for publicity stunts and telling people that you're doing it. I, I think it's really difficult to judge the right moment to tell people that you're doing it, because if you do it too close to the beginning and you're not very good, then they'll listen and they'll never listen and they'll never come back again. Uh, but on the other hand, if you do this great thing and just assume Field of Dream style that they will come, uh, I think there's often a chance they won't. And I was always um, uh, almost blind to the fact that some people might not, like, might not like the fact that I was besieging their, their email inbox and their MySpace as it was in the time. This was 2007. Uh, I was always blind to the fact that, that might be a bit irritating. Always uh, be hustling. Just, just keep hustling, yeah. And what has podcasting done for your career? Oh, blimey. Uh, well, everything, I suppose. Um, you know, it was, it was doing the podcast that got us into meetings at, uh, at Five Live and at Radio 2, and we ended up on Steve Wright in the afternoon, and then we ended up on Saturday edition on Five Live, and then ultimately led to me doing this thing on LBC and our show on Radio 4. So all of, all of the radio work that I've done. But also, it just um, it gave me the confidence to leave my day job. I still had a day job uh, working in telly for three years when we started the show, and it was just a hobby. 
and it gave me the confidence to know there was an audience out there that'd be interested in what I had to say. And I think any amateur doing that at home to have, again, the, the idea that someone, you, you can see the download figures, you can see them verifying that you have something to say and they're interested uh, and they want to give you money and they want to buy your logo on a t-shirt is the most incredible thing. Pete, what has podcasting done for your career? Um, I think it's, it's galling that um, I get stopped in the street. Because, you know, I've been involved in a couple of radio shows that have been quite popular. I've got my own radio show. I've got my own projects. But the Football Ramble, you know, I was in L.A. Uh, maybe three, uh, two, three years ago, and um, a cop stopped me. A man with a gun, for crying out loud, <laughs> stopped me. He said, sorry, no Geordies allowed. I said, I'll stop you there. I'm not a Geordie. But, um, they don't but necessarily was, he, see he the was, regional differences <laughs> in America. <laughs> well, he's, he's a listener. he was listening to the Football Ramble, and he... He, he must have gone to the website, you know, a 50-year-old L.A. cop who's probably got more troubling things to think about. He's on a website. He, he, likes to, he, he likes to listen to Football Ramble every now and again. He's a soccer fan, and he, he's gone on the website, and he's... Um, so I sound like a footballer, then. He's gone on, he's gone on the website. He's hit the <laughs> ball. Uh, but he's, uh, he's gone on the website. He's, he's looked at what we, we look like, and, he's, and I guess policemen probably have a good eye for what people look like because they've got to fill in forms and stuff. But he, you know, he recognised me and said, oh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the, of the podcast. Now that's like miles away from my home and I get stopped in the street probably once or twice a week for the ramble. It's annoying because I've worked on some pretty big radio shows. It's annoying. See, I think that's because they think it's their thing. Well, that's Podcast what I mean, exactly. It's, really feel attached it's to a lot more. It's a lot more of an investment, I think, and they feel like more part, you know, you feel um, like part of a community and you're the only game in town, you know, you're not, you're not one show out of ten. Um, you're not stopping for adverts every five or six minutes. Uh, I think it is interesting. We went for a long time with no adverts, then we started putting in the odd thirty seconder. And uh, you know the amount of people that would sort of say, "You sell out. You're selling out and stuff." It's free podcasts that we don't pay for. You're selling out by you know making hundred quid a month or something. It's kind of um, it's kind of interesting. But I sort of said, "Look, it's an investment for them." That it's not such a passive medium uh, as radio, I think, to a certain extent. People get involved and they, they email and they write at a much higher frequency uh, than they do in, in radio, possibly because of the homogenized versions of, of, of radio, what, we, what we're kind of served up now through certainly commercial side of things anyway. Um, it, it's interesting that um, it's a lot more, the audience just gets involved a lot more and they feel like part of the club to a certain extent because it's their little thing that they download and they enjoy and they, and they consume. Uh, uh, will I suppose and Chris when you were making your very early podcast who was listening like how do you find an audience um, I have to remember I, I think fellow podcasters made up the bulk of things in the early days they, because there weren't in, in the very very early days there wasn't even Apple involved so so literally you, you couldn't get your podcast on the iTunes store in the very very early days it was days. the dark ages then it was so, not like so, now so but there, but there were other little forums there are, were other websites I guess there, there are always you know uh, uh, early adopters um, but I, like, like Ollie I would pester friends on MySpace or Bebo or whatever it was and um, Bebo <laughs> you're a dangerous really man Chris and, um, I bump into people on the steam locomotive <laughs> <laughs> And, and you, you would just try to grow and re reach people that way. And um, briefly, what, what do you need to start making a podcast? Recording equipment. But that comes on a, a, a computer these days, doesn't it? You don't really need an awful lot. You, it, to make a good podcast is very different. To make a, do you mean to make a good one or just to actually physically get one recorded? Well, is there a, a substantial difference in equipment for a good podcast and a podcast? No, I not, not, not equipment-wise, not really. I mean, 
I, I, I'm maybe because of a radio background, I'm still fussy about the quality of the sound on a program and find it really tough listening to a podcast that doesn't have, a, you know, at the very least some decent microphones on it. Um, but ultimately, a, a, a strong creative idea, if delivered right, is very listenable. So, so you, you can cut some corners that you might not cut if you're making um, you know, a, a comedy series for Radio 4. But you're making The Bugle, which is a podcast recorded on two different continents. Yeah. How is that done? Well, it, 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 it could only happen initially. Um, so so um, we have one presenter based in New York and one based in London. And it was a very, it's a very expensive thing to do. Um, if you want to get both in very high quality and both are busy enough and not technologically aware enough to look after things themselves. So we were funded for the first several years by The Times. So it was a, a, a Times Online podcast. Making it its own independent thing it r has remained just as expensive a thing to do, but we now are funded by our listeners who um, are the ones who have basically paid for you know, two studios a week for us to make it happen. Do they have as deep pockets as The Times? Well, we're still going, and we, you know, you, uh, as, as I think you said, people do love. There, people who love podcasts seem to love it with such an incredible enthusiasm that, that hopefully, yes. I mean, maybe not as deep, but certainly that they, they, they love it enough to keep the program alive. Yeah. Okay, we'll come back to uh, the money aspect in a moment. Um, but what else do you need then, apart from microphones to talk into? Is there any other essential equipment for people who are observing this talk and are thinking about starting? What's the bare minimum that they need? Computer, internet connection, right. microphones, editing software. Something to say, I think. Yeah, <laughs> and, but that's exactly, exactly it. It's, it's, the, it's, the good, it's the good idea. We'll get you a long way. Yeah. yeah, but actually, I mean, branding is important as well now. I think probably in a way that it wasn't when we started in 2007. Although we did have some truly horrifying titles on the slate before we came up with Answer Me This, and nothing... None of them are broadcastable. No, none of this would podcast. have happened yeah. had we gone with them, no. because... I mean, to make scene. To make a very popular podcast, there are a load of other things that you can keep piling. Well, this would help, this would help, that would help, but, no, but, but what, it's very what, simple to do. But what I mean by running is actually, I think now I wouldn't start a podcast unless I knew that I had the Twitter handle, the Facebook profile, the website, the blog, you know, because actually it, it, the online world is just becoming the way everyone consumes media. So it's a bit weird to have the name of something in the iTunes store and not elsewhere. I think even if you're just doing, you know, the, the, the Chris and Ollie talk nonsense podcast at home, you, you need a name and a brand and you need to think about so that when people say they're listening to that, it's obvious that they're listening to a podcast. They don't have to say, have you heard the podcast, da, da, da. Uh, I think that's something that is something that a lot of people just miss and is, is to me, obvious. Where, where can we get the Chris and Ollie Talk Nonsense at Home podcast? Because I this am is well episode interested. One. This yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think I, Apple are putting it up. I think, I think fundamentally you've got to have a little bit of broadcasting chops, I think. It, totally apart from um, being, you know, having work on radio or television or whatever. Just knowing when a thread's gone. I think knowing when to to talk and when not to talk, when to shut up, basically, I think, and, and not to be in love with your own voice, I think, to a certain extent. I mean, a bit rich for a man who's stood in an Apple store with a microphone, but I mean, I think it's, it's just knowing, um, uh, knowing, knowing how long to go on one particular thing and when to move on, I think, to a certain extent, and, and, and be um, broad enough to, you know, be, be um, so, uh, have enough self-loathing in your soul to um, cut things out of the podcast when it's not going quite as well as it should do. Because, you know, the, the amount of podcasts that are just, are just... There's been no editing. Just put out four hours' worth of content. Just, just cut it down. Give them under an hour. And I, I was, you know, uh, I was guilty of this more than anyone else back in the day. You know, I would put... 
a good hour and a half into it and, 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 and it would just be unlistenable at times. So just, just know that the listeners have other things to do and just know when to edit, know when to keep stuff in, I think it is. I think on that note as well, I'm sure there'll be another question about editing, but on the, on the matter of actually like delivery, I think you know, we did weekly on Thursdays, but whatever it is, tell your audience when the episode will be coming out and deliver that. It doesn't matter if it's just once a month, that's fine, but tell them and stick to it because you need to build up routine and habit because that's what podcasts don't have that radio does. Yeah. You want that same vibe where people are like, oh, it's three o'clock, I'm going to listen to this. You know? yeah. And it will take roughly half an hour or however long it is. And people know that the Football Rum comes out on a, on a Monday, sometimes a Tuesday morning, and, and they can sort of build their week, not around that, but they know that, that uh-huh. it's coming out at some point and they can listen uh, at some point during the week. It kind of becomes a little bit more fluid when stuff like the World Cup happens, and then everything's just a bit of a bonus to a certain extent. It's... Um, just w- when I first started, when I first joined, they, they were going like two years before me, and it, they, as I said, they would record like four hours and, and cut it down to about um, an hour and a half. But they were doing it fortnightly. Some weeks they wouldn't do one, some weeks they'd do two. It's, and I just thought it was a bit of a mess, really. Just do an hour, less than an hour, and do it weekly, and just you know, build yourself into other people's routines, and, and, and they'll, they'll follow you, and they'll tell, you fr- tell their friends about it. And, and I think that is, that is so important because one of the biggest interactions I have with my audience is literally if it's half an hour later than the usual time it's uploaded, I get bombarded on Twitter and on Facebook. And if, if ha- we have happened to have a, a week off, I, I get an absolute stream of abuse that you just really would not expect to receive. It's great making podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Genuine abuse. Yeah, I've seen some of the tweets yeah. you get. Yeah. It's a lot of effing and blinding in those tweets. I love them really, but... And I think I'm something I'm going to speak up for what Helen does because yeah. uh, she's very, she's been very impartial and hosty. Uh, but uh, something that Helen does that I frankly cannot be asked to do in a million years uh, is reply to people when they email you, uh, and that's something that yeah, Helen still of, does. Some of the people seem a bit suicidal, yeah, so I feel still obligated. can't be asked. But if uh, <laughs> but what Helen does is uh, people write to us, and not every please don't write to us and expect a personal response from Helen every time. No, it's like one in a thousand. But uh, <laughs> if you send us three or four emails, say. Uh, at some point we will note that you've never written to us before and it's likely that you might get a personal response and we still do that and we certainly did it at the beginning and I think that's really important as well to build up some sort of communication with your audience because they're so passionate yeah, they so let think them think you're just doing this for the sake of it and you don't care about them they think we have a team whereas our podcast has, has always been just three people in a living room who are amateurs yeah well I've always done the tech support bit for people buying our old episodes and they clearly think that I'm in a Korean call centre when I write to them <laughs> it's like when I sign off Ollie you actually you can feel the sense of genuine shock they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I bothered you with refunding my 599. <laughs> it's like that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've had like you know job applications. People applying for a job at the Football Ramble. This isn't our job. We don't yeah. get paid for this. I you love know, that. Or work experience as well. <laughs> this isn't work. You'd be sitting in my living room watching me edit. Well, I'm sure you'd learn a lot. Like how many cups of tea one person can drink in a day. <laughs> Very educational. Um, I, I would also say that the um, the benefit of coming out regularly is when we started. It's, it's, I think we thought it would be a more fun hobby than it is. It's, it's hard work to make a podcast when you're trying to make it really good. Listening back to yourself is incredibly painful because you think, I hate my voice and everything I say with it. But because you've said to yourself, as we did, it's coming out every Thursday, you just have to get through that pain barrier. So anyone starting a podcast, I would say, just have the discipline to, to overcome your self-hatred and put out another episode until it's no longer bad. Yeah, well, there's that balance, isn't there, between having enough fun that it sounds like you're having fun, which I like to think we do really well, uh, yeah, and it's then, false, of course. And then purely being self-indulgent and actually only making yourselves laugh and not thinking about what other people are thinking. 
and you don't want to cross that line. And actually, if you're thinking about that line, then by necessity, you can't be having fun all the time because some of the time you've got to be thinking, actually, we need to change topic or we need to move on or we're going to have to cut that bit or we're going to have to pretend to really be enjoying this bit where actually it feels like you're sort of walking through treacle. That's all, I mean, that's all showbiz technique stuff, isn't it, right? But if you're doing it at home, you have to learn that, I think. Yeah, I, I didn't know how to edit when we started and thank God I learned because I think that distinguished... What do you use to edit? I use a program called Logic Pro, Chris, available at the back of this store <laughs> in a little white box. Uh, but there are there are many others. There are free editing softwares. Can you recommend any, particularly? A lot of people use Audacity, which I think is free. I won't recommend any free ones, I think. Because yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. someone's uh, yeah, a professional. Someone's got listeners Audacity buying them expensive software. No, not expensive. But <laughs> no, but yeah, Audacity is great, free stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I use a video editing package you know it, if perverse. i've got the choice occasionally i'll use um audition if I'm, I'm i'm working from from work but um at home i just use sony vegas which is a you know straight down the line sort of um, non-destructive video editing package it's something i've always used it's something that used to be used back when i used to produce radio shows for xfm um and it's just what you, whatever you're comfortable with if you're comfortable with a you know a cassette tape and a um a razor blade do that you know <laughs> or it would take fucking ages but you know it's retro. And then, um, what kind of web presence do you need for a podcast? Well, it, it, it does exist purely online, really. So you, you'd like to think you need some. Um, the Bugle has a website. It has a Twitter feed. It has a Facebook page. Um, we try to interact, whether it's via email or social media, as much as possible. And we try to keep the website up to date as much as possible. Um, we, we like it when we are... Um, uh, we're on SoundCloud. SoundCloud hosts the audio. It, uh, that and similar other websites allow you to share and embed files, which is quite nice. Which is, um, it's nice when other people do that for you. I'm not quite sure what else any of you guys would I do. Think, I think don't be blinded by the platform that you use. So you know, if and I know this is slightly sacrilege because of where I'm sitting, but obviously some people have Windows phones, some people have Blackberries. Uh, well, actually, no one has Blackberries, do they? Um, <laughs> Uh, and some people have Android. So if you're an iPhone user, for example, yes, it does happen to be all very nicely integrated with the podcast app or whatever you're using, but don't assume that everyone has that. And make things like your RSS, I mean, this is basic stuff, but make a big button saying RSS on every post because actually, even though that's really old tech now, yeah. that's what's coming back. If you get an Android phone now and you download Pocket Casts, that's what it wants. It wants the RSS feed if it can't find it. So all that kind of stuff, which, it, it, yeah, looks really nice on SoundCloud, but don't just put it there. Um, I think it's just thinking about making it reach as many people as possible. And yeah. one thing that we've done is we have paywalled, if you like, our first 170 episodes, uh, which means then, I'm doing maths in my hands, which means now they're at least four years old. Um, on the basis that anyone who wanted those episodes for free had four years to get them. Um, but I think the stuff that's new, and in our case that's four years worth of content, you've got to put it out as many places as possible and not be protective about it. You know. Frankly, if people upload, re-upload our stuff, we haven't got in touch and told them not to do it because it's free on the internet anyway. And it's I mean, harder to find that than ours. Yeah, exactly. We don't get the download stats. So a lot of people would say, well, why are you doing that? I think you've just got to get it out there in as many places to as many years as possible because in the content of the show, we're mentioning our web address, we're mentioning our products. You just want to reach as many people as you can. Yeah, and you cannot overestimate how lazy uh, people are using the internet. They want to find it straight away or they'll go and do something else, watch an entertaining YouTube video. A hamster or something. The amount of times, because I hadn't heard the really, really early Ramble episodes when it was just um, broadcast in somebody's, um, somebody's kitchen. 
And um, actually, the community that we have on the Football Ramble Forum, they're the ones who actually concatenated them all and collected them together and uploaded them to Mega Uploads, whatever, so I could actually listen to them. I don't know where they were kept. They were on an old, like, kind of... Because uh, we, we used to be hosted by Jellycast. I always use Libsyn for podcasts because it's just so, so much easier. They, they had a, a kind of all all-in-one cheaper solution for podcasts. So we sort of used that for about four or five years now. Um, and, and I didn't know where they were. And on the website side of things, I guess we've kind of flirted with like big content pieces, you know, getting really quite well-respected writers who actually love the podcast. And we're not paying them any money, or if we are, it's a very nominal fee. Um, to write stuff for the website and stuff, but we've always had it in our minds that the podcast is the core product and anything else is just, you know, window dressing effectively and, you know, examples of uh, trying to get people involved in the podcast. And certainly um, the podcast is so much easier to create than anything else you can find online, I think, to a certain extent. Videos take hours and days and weeks and months and uh, written pieces take you know about the, about the same time the podcast is you know an hour and a half worth of of work with say three hours prep um and a whole lot of football watching which we should really be doing anyway because we like football um but yeah we, we've always sort of had in our mind that the podcast is the core and any website presence is very much secondary not 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 to say that we haven't got some really talented people sort of working on it and and again for free we, we've got a girl called kelly who, who she um writes you know, a, a ridiculous amount of content for the uh, Football Ramble website. I mean, we, we've got this s sort of system where whatever money gets created from the website side of things, be it, be it like adverts or, you know, banners or whatever, um, she'll get a fifth of that um, because it's, you know, all of our products and, sh and she does all the, all the donkey work effectively. Um, and so we've got someone who's across that, but it's, it's never really been our core, um, our core method or our core sort of delivery. It's always been Libsyn or iTunes. So what is uh, your core method of making money out of the football ramble? Um, well, a simple answer, it really doesn't. No, <laughs> it, 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 podcasts have never been massive uh, for advertisers, I think, uh, be it you know, their lack of um, imagination or just the fact that they're just not familiar with the technology or the delivery system or whatever. Um, for us, I think we've always made money with kind of extracurricular stuff, um, you know, myself, Marcus, Jim uh, and Luke will be out doing different things and it's given us a bit of a football voice so on, on a personal level we've, we've kind of made money by um, you know, getting a bit of reputation of having you know, football badinage chops so to speak but on the podcast itself you know, we've run the usual audible adverts, we've run the usual kind of Squarespace adverts and stuff like that we've done extra shows for people so we got involved with um, IGN, Ask Men, um, Paco Rabanne inexplicably, even though we're the least stylish kind of uh, model men you're ever likely to meet. Um, but you do smell involved. delicious. We do I smell lovely. Um, Which really comes across on a podcast. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. It's kind of a weird kind of aspirational. But around about the time of a major footballing tournament, people want content. You know, people... And, and, and I guess it's not something that you guys experience because, and to me, this is very much... Um, it's about everything, isn't it, to a certain extent? Yeah. But being a kind of niche product and a bit of a cult product, they kind of want a slice of you a little bit. And, and we all, we've always done well around about a World Cup, around about a European Championship, around about an FA Cup final. We've made money that way. But it's never been running adverts on the podcast. It's always been running adverts on the podcast for the extra shows that they've told us to do, basically, for the money. So... 
in that way. It's, um, it's always more work. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. Can you make a living from podcasting? Um, I think uh, not when there's five or six people working on it and you've got to, you know, uh, we're not one direction on out. But uh, well, I, I guess... I, I think you can't make a living as a Brit, which I think is a really interesting yeah. thing. You can clearly make a living as an American because there are plenty of people who yes. are. And what's interesting about your podcast is that obviously because you're splitting half of the... Uh, the talent, can I call Andy talent, uh, are in London and half is... Yes, you is can in, call Andy talent. It's yeah. <laughs> is my brother, the, by the way, for anyone who's... It's <laughs> a very insular uh, And half of the presenters are in New York. Uh, I, I think, you know, naturally, you've got an American audience tuning in. And I think that's part of the secret of the success, which is what they saw John Oliver on The Daily Show. They found the podcast online. And Americans are used to donating because yeah. of NPR and all these other things. Well, we have all the of their BBC. radio stations are asking for money all the time, which yeah. is yeah. something that doesn't happen here. So I think on podcasts, it doesn't seem that unnatural, does because, it? Because of the BBC. And, you know, I love the BBC and I, I would hate anything to happen to the BBC. But that is the reason why I think podcasters struggle here. We've got this culture and you look at The Guardian, which has just axed Media Talk podcast, which is why I'm doing this to start up with Matt, the producer, uh, as an independent rival to that, because it's really hard to make them pay because there aren't as many Americans listening. And I do think we need to try and get across to Brits that they need to pay for the content they mm. like, just or, as or we all least, do pay for the BBC. Yeah, or at least put up with a lot of adverts. You know, the amount yeah. of abuse we got, we introduced a couple of adverts, as I, as I mentioned before. I think what you'd say is the, the, the big kind of podcast over there, you know, your Mark Marins and stuff like that, they've been going for a long time. The Bugle's been going for a long time. Yeah, These people Marin have been going for a long time. Marin only started in like 2010 or something. Is that so right? It's, well, it's, doing straight, but he's always done podcast. He's always done podcasts before that. Didn't he, he do a separate one? He was one? fired from um, a radio show. That's where it was born right, out of. Okay, yeah. but, but, but some of the big ones have only been going for three or four years. Mm. And, and Americans volunteer it. I mean, yeah. I remember this documentary made for Radio 4 about podcasts, Keith and the Girls, saying to Helen, their listeners got in touch almost immediately, you know, week three or four, and said, how can we donate to the podcast? Just it's all right for some, isn't it? Just doesn't happen here. Their listeners also, 130 of them have got Keith and the Girl tattoos, including ones done by the branding iron. So their fans <laughs> oh, are very Jesus. devoted. Not all of us can enjoy flash mutilation type fandom, which is fine by me. If, I, if I can talk about an, another method of, of money making in, in podcasts that, that hasn't been mentioned yet, that um, I, I did a podcast actually called The Greatest Test, uh, which was a, a cricket one themed around the ashes. There are other UK-based podcasters that are also doing this where... Um, it, it was a cricket quiz show and the way I, I worked out that I would be able to make at least a handful of days living out of it last year was um, I made it a live show as well. So, so I basically, I found a, a sponsor who I also believe would help carry the, carry the podcast and I sold tickets to the show and I'm not the only podcast who does that either and between a, a small bit of sponsorship money um, so therefore didn't have to add any advertising really other than the mentions of, of the, the sponsoring brand and the ticket sales, we were able to make a sort of seven-date podcast tour pay just enough to survive and make it just about almost a small day salary in the process. You're really making this sound oh, great. But, but that, that, I still think, though, th these are early days. These are really early days. And that, that for me, demonstrated that that kind of way doing, of doing things is possible. And... Uh, I, it could be an, a growth area if you're looking to make money from doing podcasts. But you were making a branded podcast for a company very early on in the life of podcasting. I think before even YouTube existed. This is the dark days of the internet. Yes. Uh, so what made a brand want to do a podcast back then? And what, what's in it for a brand now even? So this was the Pepsi Max No Sugar Wind-Ups. Any, any fans in? Um. Mm. Um, uh, which was yeah, which was ne nearly nine and a half years ago this was. And... Um, I think they had a very smart uh, 
online team who wanted to be early adopters and they themselves were I think their opinion was let's try and do something new see what can happen from this who, who knows it, it might be a real growth area for us uh, the podcast was also added extra content so they were doing um, uh, some sponsorship and promotion work on UK radio already and the idea was that we're generating loads of content that can't necessarily exist just on radio so what else can be done with it and podcasting seemed a really natural place for it so we were lucky to have a um, uh, a, a client with foresight I think was, was the, the big um, bonus for that yeah and now they've got hindsight have they continued making podcasts uh, not with me no, but you see the thing is a company <laughs> like that a company like Pepsi will be sponsoring loads of stuff on YouTube right they're going to be putting loads of money into video and I do think that's the other thing for some reason again in Britain particularly I think there just isn't the support for audio with these brands and these advertising agencies that there is for video because they think video's sexy and shiny and and then of course the problem with that is which is fine for video is you hire good looking people and good looking people aren't the people who necessarily make the best audio products but the listeners who love your audio product are choosing to spend time with you every single week on the bus on the commute for all the reasons we've already discussed you really mean something to them and I just think it is the most fantastic advertising opportunity that isn't being taken up because people in these branding agencies think video is better. And to be honest, they're looking over their shoulder at their boss. And if they say, as the marketing director for Pepsi or whoever it is, I've given £100,000 to this cool video blogger on YouTube, their director will say, good one. And actually, that's not the best way to spend. You could spend that 100 grand between 100 different audio podcasts yeah. and have a much better result. It's a very cheap way of advertising on, on a different platform, I think. It's a, it's a lot more short form, I think, video. I mean, I, what we do is a heck of a lot more long form. And I think to a certain extent, it, it's kind of it's kind of galling because with our discipline is very quantifiable. You can count how many listeners you know we, we create. We poll every single week or month or year. Um, it is disappointing when people go elsewhere and people don't harness the, the power. And, and, and certainly the money we've made, certainly from the Football Ramble, um, they've, they've chucked money at us that figures-wise you wouldn't chuck at a local radio station, but, but they've got better figures. It's that kind of cult kind of thing, tapping into it and going, oh, the, the, this brand is associated with that brand. Um, it's not necessarily always about numbers, uh, but I think that they do help to a certain extent. And, you know, and, and talk about video bloggers, I think uh, these kids are, you know, they, those they pull more figures than anyone in this room could possibly even count to. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're incredible. Uh, they, they turn over so many figures. Who watches to the end of the YouTube video? I don't know, but uh, that's, a, that's a question. That's a question for It's, it's day, a I different think. relationship people have with them, yes. though, isn't it, I think? They're more likely to stumble across it. They don't necessarily... I know there are... Don't get me wrong. I know there are teenage girls who love video bloggers and watch a particular one, and it's a bit like a boy band in that way. Mm. But a lot of the viewers will stop watching, as you say, after a minute, and that is so totally different. Well, you've, you've, you've really stuck it to video. <laughs> um, what do you think has changed in podcasting since uh, you started doing it, Chris? Uh, Apple was a big help. I think getting a podcasting page on the iTunes store was... It almost, in the very early days, sort of legitimised it in some way. It made people realise that it wasn't just guys in their bedrooms making programmes and that it, w it was part of a of a bigger part of the media world. Although um, a lot of them are guys in their bedrooms. Yes, still. true. Um, the, the BBC, obviously, putting a load of their prog programmes out as podcasts helped as well. And, you know, we've gone from show... Like, in the early days, getting 500, 1,000 listens was, was a wonderful thing. And now you're talking in hundreds of thousands for a, for a, a really good UK podcast. So uh, th there are just bigger brands, more people doing bigger shows, really. And that despite podcasting having not necessarily always been the buzziest thing, it has continued to 
steadily grow over those last, over the ten years. And, and stuff like broadband and, and 3G connectivity and stuff that that's helped massively. The delivery systems. I've always been a big fan of Libsyn. I've always um, you know been a big advocate of that particular company because they just made things easy. They made things really cheap, and it wasn't about how many listeners you reached, so that there was no top level that if you you made more listeners you would have to pay more. That is um, that turned out not to be true. That is one of their founding promises. Oh, did they did uh, they change that? They Maybe we've not hit that ceiling once. yet. <laughs> I don't, I don't see the figures. <laughs> I don't pay the bills. Yeah. Um, but yeah, theoretically, that is true. It should cost $12 a month to make a, a popular podcast through Libsyn, which is, is very inexpensive. It's Ollie. And it is easy. I mean, you're right. When we started, oh, we it, was used, we, it was, was infernal. And we used to tell people when we were doing press interviews, you know, it's as easy as sending an email doing a podcast. It really wasn't. You know, <laughs> unless you send an email by putting in a lot of hypertext images and trying to attach scratch and sniff, it really wasn't that simple. <laughs> Um, but now it really is very simple. It is like writing a blog. It is like sending an email. So that's definitely happened. And it's easier to get them as well. Quality mics on your phone as well. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge thing. You can make a podcast now here and it's listenable. It, you know, it would be as listenable to as this. This is not a good building to do it in, though. A lot of hard surfaces, a lot of background noise. So I wouldn't recommend it. Um, and I think generally the growth of content online generally and the fact that that's where now people are going for TV, that's where people are going for news. And in a way, what's happened in the last 10 years is podcasting has ceased to be a novelty even though it's growing and even though people love it and are still listening, it ceased to be a thing that generally people talk about. The Radio Academy, despite inviting us here very nicely, uh, inexplicably axed their Best Internet Programme Award a couple of years ago. And generally, it's thought of as being a slightly old-fashioned thing that you talked about um, seven years ago, like when people talked about blogging or micro-blogging, but now they just talk about tweeting. And uh, in a way, that's good, because what it means is that it has... It is just, people don't differentiate between a podcast, and this is what I was saying about branding earlier, mm. between a podcast and something that's on BBC iPlayer, or something that's come from Channel 4, or something that's been made by Huffington Post. It's all just content and it's online. And I think that has made the whole keys to the toy shop thing even bigger. You've got the opportunity to bring your stuff to people who don't even know that it's homemade. Yeah, people don't even know it's called a podcast. You know, it's just a show. Have you listened to the Football Ramble? Have you, have you listened to Answer Me This? Have you listened to The Bugle? You know, have you listened to that podcast? I'm not going to get into what a podcast is. You know, it, it's just kind of, it, it's just a, it's a brand more than anything else. Uh, and, and I think moving forward, it's just going to be another stream of content. It, it, we're not going to call them podcasts. We're just going to call them shows. Um, everyone's got a show. Everyone's got a bedroom show. Everyone's got a, a football show on a delivery system that happens to be, uh, you know, coming down your mobile phone, I suppose. And uh, what do you think the radio industry should be doing about podcasts? Uh, do you think they're embracing the medium do you think they're not ignoring they, they it? They do an okay job. I mean, content-heavy shows should do their best to get um, programmes out as podcasts as well because I think that will help them grow their audience. Um, um, so Christian O'Connell's show we put out as a daily podcast later in the day and we notice we have another wave of interaction in the show mid-afternoon as we get, we get podcast-only listeners getting involved in the programme. So, um, so, so I, I guess... There's one easy example of how podcasting can help uh, grow. It'd be nice if they had radio books from a radio perspective, which they, which they probably don't, as a lot of my guests are international. But um, it depends why you're making the radio show in the first place. If 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 you are working for a commercial client, the BBC, and your aim is to reach as many people as possible, then you need to be podcasting that show because you will reach more people. Um, I don't think the radio industry has put enough podcasters on air, uh, and I'm saying that <laughs> despite the fact that I am on air now. Um, but I mean, the amount of podcasters that have made the transition from, uh, from podcasting to radio in the UK, uh, you can count on two hands, and three of us are sitting on this stage. Uh, and I think that's odd because, um, you know, look at what Radio 1 are doing with those guys. Is it Dan and Phil who do the chart, 
the post chart show on Radio 1, who are great, but they're from YouTube, and it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Um, I don't know, this will sound like bitterness, but it genuinely isn't, because we are both on the radio, and I'm very grateful for the radio industry having listened to us. But I think we probably deserved an opportunity to have uh, a radio show similar to what we were doing about five years ago. And I suspect that, because we met a lot of radio directors, and what they often said to us was the same thing, which is, was, I really, I love your show. I really love your show. I listen to everyone. I love your show. Everyone here listens to your show. Uh, but you're not, you're not quite right. Not go, quite right we, for we our like brand. You. We just don't know what to do. We just with don't you. know what to do with you. And it's like, well, I have a suspicion you would know what to do with us if we'd been on Channel Four. Um, <laughs> and I think that's the wrong attitude. But there are less and less opportunities to be a presenter in radio any, anymore. Anyway, there are. There, there, are, there is uh, an increased amount of network shows. There are less content-heavy shows anyway. So, so, as the, so as much as more and more bright talent might be coming through from podcasting, the, there are fewer and fewer opportunities to actually then take that into a radio program. Yeah, but that, and that's, that's another argument for why doing a podcast is a great thing. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I don't know what you're going to ask or if we're going to run out of time, so I want to say this before the end of the show because I think it's really important. I think in the same way that if you want to make films, you would be insane not to be making videos on YouTube and showing people. And if you want to be a journalist, you would be insane not to be blogging and be on Twitter. I think if you do want to be a radio presenter, despite the fact that it is very difficult to do, and despite the fact that to do it well, you need all the technical things we were talking about, uh, you are nuts if you're not making a podcast. I do think eventually, the people that have been listening to us for the last 10 years will become commissioners at those radio shows. Yeah, I mean, they're only um, about 17 at the moment, but <laughs> so, they'll grow up one day. Um, and eventually they'll recognise the importance of doing it yourself and showing that you really want to do it and having honed a skill and developed it. So I think it's a really, really good reason to do it. And sorry to bang on, but one other thing. <laughs> I think you've got to not make it clear to the audience that that's why you're doing it. That is such an important thing. If you make it clear that you're there to get a radio show, they will not listen because there are radio shows to listen to. They can smell cynicism through their headphones. It's back to what you were saying about the core, the podcast being the core. You have to be there because you want to be. It's the most present possible thing. They've chosen to listen to you at that moment. And you have to sound like you really want to be in their ears at that moment. And if you're doing it so that you get sponsorship or you get a radio show, they'll, they'll sense that. Just do it until you can't do it anymore. I think, and just let radio do its own thing. If they pick you up and you want to be, if you want to be a radio presenter, you should be knocking on people's doors anyway. You know, it's a completely different discipline. I think to a certain extent, podcasters will have been tried out for, for, for radio shows and stuff like that. But I think, uh, and perhaps, you know, their product hasn't quite fit uh, fitted into what the radio commissioners really need, I suppose. And I, I think for certainly the long form stuff, I can only think of like two or three radio stations that you could actually fit one of our podcasts on to a certain extent and you know I guess we've all kind of flirted with certain uh, certain uh, certain radio um, uh, devices uh, in that direction to, to a certain extent just let them get on with it you know if you get picked up you get picked up if you don't you don't any nuggets of advice for people starting doing a podcast Chris uh, I think this is already said it's, it's that editing thing there's there's nothing worse than you know the, the sort of three minute intro to get into the meat of what the program's about whilst you ask random stuff about your week that isn't the topic of the program sometimes and that three minutes is about 40 minutes as yeah, well well yeah and then um uh, just just it, you take an hour and a half to do a half hour show sometimes on a podcast and just the, the, those editing principles are, are so so important to stick to um you, you're there to entertain them not not you and your co-hosts However many people it is, you know, make a show for 50 people, but have, have in your mind I'm making a show for a million people. And, and you know, every program I've always done, big or small, I've had sort of that opinion on it. Okay. It's work. It's not yeah, fun. Yeah. It's work. 
Um, and um, just quickly, what's the best thing about podcasting? Pete? Uh, you can do it in your pants. There's no webcams unless you want them. I don't know. You just, yeah. do what you can do what you want. It's, as, as I think I mentioned on your, your radio show for Radio 4 about podcasts, it's, it's a democracy, you know. And frequently a meritocracy. If people don't like your product, they're not going to listen. You, you know, the cream rises to the top. Do you remember when we were all obsessed with the iTunes charts? Because it was a very long time ago. I, I can't remember the last time I looked at it, but I remember when we first started, it was just like, or I first started doing podcasts. It was like, where's, where's our show on the charts? Where's our show on the charts? But so on your you way out, you will subscribe to Football Ramble on every <laughs> sample laptops, won't you? Uh, Ollie, best thing about podcasting? I mean, that is such a hard question. Um, I can tell you're very emotional right now. Uh, I think intimacy, to find the right word, I think it's intimacy. He's it, talking about pants again. I'm talking about <laughs> pants again. Uh, it is that relationship with the listener that I think is better than radio. And I'm saying that now from someone who's on the radio doing a live show every day. But... As I keep saying, they're choosing to be with you, and that is really, really special. And if they're choosing to be with you over not only all the content that's live at that time, but all the, moment, all the content that's on demand at that time as well, uh, it's a special club. You're talking to people who are like you or who want to hear you, um, and I just think that's the most incredible technological development. Chris? <laughs> I can make friends. <laughs> um, it, the... the, the from a listener's perspective, I'd say the best thing is uh, just the, the range of shows there are now. So um, there, there are shows that exist because of podcast. Your, your show would be, an ex in fact, both your shows would be an example of that. And on the way here, I was listening to The Telegraph's Obituary Podcast. It's uh, called Deadline. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and it's fantastic. <laughs> and um, and it, it's, it's, it's something that I would never have listened to um, on the radio. So th there are shows out there now that you'd have never got before. From, from a producer's perspective, uh, I make shows in radio that I don't think I could have been making if I hadn't tried out certain ideas as a podcaster before that. It's, it's like an old school BBC. There's something for everyone and it caters for so many tastes. Tastes that the BBC perhaps don't even cater for anymore because they've become this kind of slightly mass market, top gear, strictly, strictly come dancing kind of, uh, you know, big, big show kind of uh, entity to, to a large degree. I think it just gives people a lot of choice. And if you're into, I don't know, car exhausts, Listen to the Car Exhaust podcast. It's a great show. It just, it just goes... <laughs> 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 uh, but I'm very conscious that Pete has to be on air in his real radio job at 8pm. Real radio <laughs> job. <laughs> Who are you talking to? <laughs> All right. Your little radio job. Uh, so I just want to throw out to the audience see if anyone's got any questions before you have to go. Don't be shy. Yes. Lady at the front with a the scarf. There's a bike coming. Um, I wanted to ask you about prep and planning. What kind of stuff you do? We have a lot of elaborate rituals, sacrifices, songs. So, so for our show, um, and I, I could obviously bore for written on this, so I'll keep it brief. Uh, but on our show, obviously, we're answering people's questions. So we spend a day looking through our email inbox and sorting through the questions people have sent us, choosing the ones that we'd like, and then choosing the ones, once we've done that, from the list of the ones that we like that we're actually going to do that fit a format of our show which hopefully isn't too obvious to the audience, but there is a format and there's a certain kind of question that fits at a certain time of the show to make it work. Uh, so we spend a lot of time doing that and then we go off individually and uh, think about what we're going to say. Uh, Helen does more factual research. I tend to think more about literally what I am going to say because I don't like to have nothing in front you, of me. You delve into the library of your childhood <laughs> yeah. in your brain. Um, but we don't tell each other what we're going to say so that when we come on air, it still sounds spontaneous. Um, so there's preparation before we record, but actually the main thing is the editing. And I think the most important thing is listening. Helen does the, the actual oh. button pressing edit and I do the, the written edit. 
I listen back to a version that Helen sends me, which is about 50 minutes long, down from our 90-minute record, and then I cut that down on paper to a, uh, in half, basically. Oh, well, now we're 45 minutes long, so I cut a bit less out. But yeah. it's, um, it's basically a two-and-a-half-day process each episode. Yeah. It's a long thing. And, and th when I say listen, it's listening as a listener. So I listen on my phone whilst I go for a walk. I don't listen in front of my computer with the editing software there with a Chrome browser open researching whether what I said was right. I listen, I think, does that sound right? Does that sound funny? Does it have the right feel to it? And we edit a lot, and it's about moving things around so that it's, it's a comedy show. So it's, it's to, to disguise have the right vibe, what dicks we are. It's, <laughs> it's partly. Cut out all the racism. Yes, there's a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyone who listens to the app extras, it's just uh, it's disgusting <laughs> what we say. Uh, but yeah, no, so that, that's the main thing is the editing for, for us. It, well, I, I think the prep and planning is the same as for a radio show. It, it, it's depending on the nature of the show. It could be days, it, it could be weeks if you're booking, you know, if you're going into the booking of venues and the likes. It, it, it's absolutely essential. And going into a programme knowing what you're talking about really helps. Yeah, I mean, we just have a straight plan, to be honest. We, we pretty much put everything in. Uh, we, we don't edit anything out, to be honest. So it's probably a slightly quicker um, process. Um, yeah, it's just knowing exactly what you're going to say. The, the, uh, Marcus, the guy who sort of puts together the, um, the show plan, he'll give us it at like 11 o'clock at night, uh, the, the night before. We'll sort of go through it. We'll have a uh, watch of a couple of football matches that we may have missed that Marcus will have seen um, to put the plan together. And yeah, because we don't cut anything out, we kind of know what we have to say before we've said it effectively. I think also because it's episodic, think about what the listener might be expecting compared to what you said last week, uh, rather than just what you think is funny or interesting to start the show with. Like, if there's been a big reaction to something that you said online, again, it's about including the audience and making sure you talk about that first. And in the edit as well, we do something which is different to radio documentaries where I'm told a lot of producers are trained to save the best bit for the end, because that's what people will come away listening, you know, having heard and they'll remember and they'll think, oh, that was brilliant, that was really profound. Like, you need the best bit in the first three minutes, otherwise people won't be listening anymore. <laughs> They'll stop listening. So, yeah, I guess he's thinking about that. Any other questions? Oh, a few. Well, gentlemen, gentlemen with the spectacles in the front. Hello, Rodders from Reading. Um, it's harder now to find someone who doesn't do a podcast. Has it become a victim of its own success and is now too saturated for even the good stuff to rise to the top? Well, you know, people still do YouTube videos that get incredibly popular. And I'd say YouTube's probably even more saturated than the world of podcasting. Um, you're, you're right to a certain extent. In the fact that there are more people there, you've got, you've got to have a better USP, I guess. Um, so you've got to have, you know, we haven't really talked about promotion and marketing that much. If you've got any resource of doing something like that, or you've got any way of working with big talent, either because they work on the show or you have some kind of relationship with them, that, that is essential, really, if you want to have a very quick, instant impact. But, but no, I, I still think if you're doing everything right and you're not, not just in terms of the program you're recording, but what you do with it once you've done with it, then I still think there is definitely a way that podcasts can thrive. Yeah, I disagree with you. I think it's harder to find a comedian that's not doing a podcast, <laughs> but not amongst the general population. Yeah. Um, any other questions? Because uh, Paint's got to go. And delight I'm, delight I'm, I'm, the I'm audiences. I'm fine until 10 to, it's fine. But oh, really? I'm, I'm, sure okay. these I'm sure these people don't Are they just going to put on a tape or something? <laughs> uh, right, any further questions? Yes, at the back. Uh, is the microphone reaching you? Okay, uh, I'm, I'm quite eager to hear you speak about the um, interactive nature of being reliant on audience uh, members for guiding or giving content. Like, at the beginning of a podcast, how does that... Obviously, you there's not much coming in so how what do you, how do you get around that we we released a teaser trailer about a month before the podcast and we put it on myspace it wasn't even on facebook at the time even though it did exist 
and we befriended a lot of teenagers. I know this sounds bad, but we be- <laughs> they're all legal now. How very now. ready of you. <laughs> um, and, um, and so we befriended a lot of people we thought would like the show, and they listened to the trailer. So even in our first ever show, half of our questions were from strangers. Yeah, but, it, was, yeah. It, was re- it was that cynical. I mean, I remember I, at the time I was working at the BBC, and part of my job there was researching bands that we could feature on the culture show. So whenever I got a sense that there was a band that were coming up that basically 17-year-olds might like, because I thought that's roughly where our humour was pitched, I'd email Helen and be like, yeah, go to myspace.com slash kooks. (laughs) 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 Write to everyone there and say that we've got a show coming out. So it's, yeah, growing that audience. But then when you get the feedback, I think you've got to include it, but not, um, again, it's not being indulgent. If it's not good enough to be on the show, include it in an edited down way. You know, don't devote whole minutes of the show to something that isn't going to inspire someone else. Um, and I think it's implicit, actually, that once you start listening, you, you want to get in touch. Do you ever sort of wake up in a cold sweat that all of the questions have dried up and nobody asks you a question anymore? You know, it's honestly never happened, has it? Sometimes what, what the problem is people ask us, we've answered, like, how many? Uh, thousands. Over 2,000 Se- Several thousand. Um, so the, the problem is they've asked us that question before. Right. Um, but now we've just kind of accepted that some of the things we've done before, but they're all, you try and find the difference in the details. So, you know, if... Someone's asked, I and mean, the classic, obviously, is I like a girl, she doesn't like me, what do I do? I'm uh, 14. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, now we just think, think, well, is there a slight spin on this? You know, is this, uh, oh, I don't know, is this a gay relationship, whereas we did a straight relationship last time? Or is this someone who's in Canada in a relationship with someone who's in America? Or is this a teacher-student relationship? Anything that we can try <laughs> and uh, make it new. And I guess you get better, so you get used to managing to... Yeah, what, what has been surprising is just we didn't think we'd be going this long at all. But because we have, it means we've used all the obvious material and we have to delve a bit deeper now for things we never knew we were there. And that's a really good discipline as well. You know, if, if you've got some, I mean, obviously, if you're not a comic, and we're not, uh, but if, if you're not a comic, you're not used to the idea of having material on anything. But you realise after doing a podcast that you do. You realise that when pizza comes up, you're always going to turn to that particular anecdote about that time that thing happened with the pizza. And when it's your third time talking about pizza, you can't do that because people will know. So then it's, it makes you better because you have to think, okay, what else, what else do I think about pizza? Yeah, and the audience remember everything as well because once they've heard a podcast, it doesn't matter if it came out in 2008. It's like it's the present for them. So they'll write in saying, oh, this thing you said about bears. And I have no recollection at all of what that is. But I it's all fresh for them, which is amazing. I think use the intelligent stuff as well. Don't insult the intelligence of the audience by thinking that you have to use stuff where people are talking about stuff that's really mainstream or just basically a shout out. Use the stuff that's really obscure and really specific to something you said last time because it generates more feedback like that. People get to grips with the idea of the kind of thing you start talking about on the show and then you get more of the kind of stuff you want. I think as well, if you're thinking you're going from a starting point, with, then I actually wouldn't be afraid, depending on the nature of the show, to use people you know early on because if they help your show get up and running, then if your show is popular, then you'd like to think that you might be able to generate um, some real uh, interaction um, as a result of that. We've got time for a couple more questions. Nobody's stopping us. <laughs> gentlemen, is that t- is, what's that on your T-shirt? Is it a typewriter or something? It's a, Z- <clears throat> it's a ZX Spectrum. Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> So I wanted to ask, because uh, you talk, you're all talking about fairly, uh, sort of obviously popular podcasts that are uh, kind of relatively mainstream format, and I wanted to ask if uh, in this 10 years of podcasting you know of like real examples of crazy stuff that has like done really well, like 
really unusual formats. Well, I wouldn't have thought that Night Vale would necessarily do that well because it, it's it's off off beam. It's it's almost all one voice, and yet it is being the most popular podcast in America now. Uh, there's one that I've, is one of the podcasts I've been listening to the longest. It's called Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. She's a flight attendant. She's recording stories on planes with other flight attendants and pilots and so on. So the sound quality is bad, which goes against most things I think should be done in podcasts it's irregular as well but it's just the kind of thing that could only be done as a podcast and it's the kind of thing that is of universal interest well because nearly everyone's been on a plane and the stories are uh, like quite unsanitary or undignified and uh, people enjoy that as well grammar girl i'd say as well as another one american podcast i mean it's not that kooky but it's not an idea that you would get commissioned immediately yeah. on the bbc is flaps it? as so well that's about gliders yes um, Great name. And Welcome to Night Vale is the obvious. I mean, in fact, 99% are visible as well. Not an obvious breakout, massive, you know, 900 grand donation or whatever he managed to rack up show. Uh, quite an unusual idea, you know, do a different architectural thing about modern design every week and talk about it for a long time. Um, it's weird. I think when things become mainstream, you th don't think they're kooky anymore. But actually, if you had the idea at the BBC, they'd say no, and I think that's definition enough of a weird yeah. idea. The, the, the BBC wouldn't have commissioned The Bugle as the programme sounds as it is. It sounds very... Um it, it sounds very much part of, I guess, somewhere between political satire and knob jokes now, but that when it first started, we, we wouldn't have been able to get that programme uh, commissioned in the form it exists in now. So, yeah, maybe, maybe you, podcasting has already allowed us to maybe change our perspective on what is genuinely an out there and alternative program but actually also what's a hit like you know if you're doing a show that is just about coffee then it's only going to appeal to a few thousand people or whatever that's fine because that's who it's going to appeal to and like the show that i'm working on at the moment third plug i know for the media podcast we know that's a small audience of people who basically live in London and manchester <laughs> yeah <laughs> kickstarter.com they're so. small but wealthy um, <laughs> Uh, who work in the media, that's who it's for. That's why we have to do a Kickstarter campaign for it because it's never going to reach the kind of downloads we get for Answer Me This, but that it will be a hit if we have a few thousand people listening to it. So. I, think, I think I'd also say in general, people are listening to podcasts for character rather maybe than, than really unusual jazzy formats because the problem with a very high concept format is it can be really restrictive. After you've done about three episodes, it can be really hard to do more because you're just boxed into this thing. Um, one more question? I just wanted to ask about uh, guests. Uh, so I know, answer me, this has had maybe, well, in the last couple of years, I've been listening three or four guests come on. Uh, the Bugle's an interesting one because a lot of the format seems to be the same as uh, what John did on The Daily Show and what he does on Last Week Tonight Now, which obviously had a, get a lot of guests on. Is it a good way of um, kind of opening up to new audiences? And, and why would you not do it more often? Guests can be great for a program if they themselves already carry a profile, so you've got a little bit of crossover with each other. Um, uh, we on The Bugle tend not to use guests. It's, it's all built around Andy and John, with the exception of uh, the, the, the most successful example. We, we have a feature with an American who's a character who's appeared probably ten times in the history of the show. Uh, it, it doesn't really work for us. Um, having said that, Andy and John have been very good guests on other people's podcasts. So... Um, if, if your format allows for having a guest on the show, then by all means. But you, it's, it sounds... I mean, we, we often get asked, um, would you have this guest on? And they, they can be amazing, really high-profile comics or public figures, but it would just sound really weird to have them on. So we, we turn them down. So it, it, it's all about 
you know, it's show by show basis. Yeah, and, and personal responsibility to a certain extent, I think. I can rely on the, the, the few people that I do the podcast with, but what if we've got a duff guest on? What if the guest doesn't really bring anything to the table? What if the guest just isn't interested and he's just, you know, his agents just said, go over here and talk for a bit? You know, it's just, it, it's, it, it lends a level of unpredictability that I don't think um, a person who has like three or four jobs and a podcast on top of it needs, to be honest. And, and you don't want to be sitting there editing um, other people's words because, um, you know, it's just, it's just not worth it, I don't think, for, for, certainly for our product anyway. I think it depends why people are listening. and You need to be self-aware enough to know why. And in our case, they are listening to hear Helen and I bantering. They're not listening to even find out the answers to the questions because if they were, they'd just use Google. So... Bearing that in mind, why introduce a, a fourth wheel to that? Because we have Martin, our sound man as well, of course, who's our sidekick, I guess you'd say. Why have a fourth person unless it's someone that loves what we do or that we really love? And then it's worth a shot. But I agree, if you're starting a show, I mean, yeah, of course, if someone has a million followers on Twitter, you know, you only need 1% of them to follow the link. That is worth doing. Um, and when you do have a guest, it's back to the thing of telling people about it. You know, put it in your tags. I mean, basic stuff, but I mean, people weirdly don't. You know, the episode title should be named after that person. You should make sure their Facebook fan page has a reference to it. People who write about them on the internet know that you've done it. Because um, otherwise, what's the point? You might as well leverage the fact that they're there. Yeah, and if you, and if you actually have an active dislike for a, a personality or a, or a person, you're not going to listen to that show. You, like, you know, WTF, I listen to maybe 10% of Mark Warren's podcast. Richard Bacon, the same. Love both of those shows. I love both the presenters. I think they're both brilliant and talented. But if I don't like the person who's on the show, I'm either going to skip through that, yeah. co that content, which may or may not be excellent, um, just because I have an active dislike for, I don't know, Piers Morgan or something. Yeah. And also, because we record Answer Me This in my house, if we have a guest, I have to hoover and I can't be bothered. And uh, make them a chicken. If you're, if you're watching this and you are a celebrity who'd like to come and answer me this, Helen will give you a chicken. Or vegetarian equivalent, if that's your bag. <laughs> cooked. A cooked chicken. <laughs> uh, on that note, uh, it's time to wrap up. Uh, thank you so much for coming to this, the spiritual home of podcasting. Uh, thank you to the Radio Academy for uh, setting us up and uh, Sarah Grun and uh, Stu Manton. And uh, thanks, of course, to the panellists, uh, Pete Donaldson, Ollie Mann and Chris Skinner. And th thanks, you guys. Thank you, Alan. Cheers, guys.